Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Welcome Transformation Talk Radio listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart and I am the Pushy Broad from the Bronx. I'm welcoming you today after a wonderful holiday weekend to a special episode of Recovery Recharged. I'm delighted to be here today. We have some very important topics to discuss, especially at the end of a holiday weekend and the beginning of loosening some of the lockdown requirements that we have all faced across the country because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'd like to talk to you today about something that's very near and dear to my heart and something that every single parent should be aware of. So before you do anything else, make sure that you are really listening to this episode and you are also telling every single parent you know how important this topic will be to them. Today on the episode, uh, Recovery Recharge, we're going to look at an inspiring story of a young man's journey from active alcoholism to recovery. And I have with me a very special guest who is going to talk to about how his journey was. And we're also going to talk about the reasons he decided to do what he did. Let me introduce Ryan Quigley, who is the founder and co-owner of Pearl Recovery Center and Pearl Resident Sober Living in Fort Myers, Florida. Ryan's mission is to work uh, in recovery and that comes from a personal experience and he's gonna tell you all about it. His journey, his insights, they'll provide us with very valuable information for any parent struggling with adolescents or young adults that they believe is involved with substance abuse. It's my pleasure to introduce to you, Ryan Quigley. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Hey, Ellen, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You're welcome. Uh, I am very pleased that you'll share your personal journey with us today. Can you start by telling us how old you are and how long you've been in recovery? I'm 28 years old, and in March, I celebrated 10 years of being in recovery. So that means that you were active at 18 years old. About how young were you when you first started using I was about 12 when I first unintentionally used. Explain that. I, I got into the medicine cabinet, found Percocets, and I used them, and they definitely did their job. And I loved the feeling. At 14 is when I purposely went out of my way, though, to drink and then use other substances as well. So you told me at 12 years old, you, you just nonchalantly decided I want to get high or you were perusing the medicine? I had, what I, had a, I had a little tummy ache 
and my mother was asleep. So I helped myself to the medicine cabinet. And I, my logic was that this comes from a doctor. It must be stronger. And I took two Percocets. And of course, it, it gave me a high effect. And I loved the effect. So that was the beginning for you. So you started with Percocet. And did you keep going back to the medicine cabinet and taking more? How did that go? I, I sure did. The next night, I did take a couple more. But something in me knew that it was wrong. So up until 14, I, I really didn't dip into that medicine cabinet too much. But at 14 is when I drank alcohol for the first time and uh, used marijuana. And I said, okay, I will use the Percocets, the Vicodin and drink. Okay. So at 14 years old, did you find at the time that there were, there were parties or peer pressure or what, what drove you to the alcohol? The party started, it was definitely a matter of, well, everyone else is starting to do this. I really want to do this with them. The problem is I was a blackout drinker from the beginning. Tell us what a blackout drinker is. So I would drink a certain amount of alcohol quite a bit. And then at some point in the drinking, I would still be functioning and awake, but I wouldn't recall anything the next day. And how old were you at that point? 14 years old, I started to blackout. 14. Yes. So we understand that that a 14-year-old can drink, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, which is, of course, under the legal age for drinking, but not everybody is a blackout drinker. Would you say that was the case? Absolutely the case. Majority of my friends were able to drink with me and not blackout, but for some reason, I was the guy who blacked out right away. How did you notice those blackouts? Did you know at the time or you only know in retrospect? Well, I knew when I would catch up with my friends the next day and we would discuss the night and I couldn't recall anything that they were talking about after a certain point. And it was extremely frightening in the beginning. And then I quickly learned, you know, what a blackout was and I kind of relished in it for some time. How do you mean? I thought it was almost like a badge of honor that I, I drank so much that I blacked out and you know, I looked at the other guys as uh, light drinkers and it was just so foolish. I see. Well, I've heard from, from quite a few young adults who tell me that the whole idea for them to drink or to get high is to get to the point of being in oblivion, to escape so much that they want to be extremely drunk or they want to pass out. Did, do, you, do you find that? Did you find that then? Is that what kids want to do? Not all kids, but yes, I found, if I look at the friends of mine that drank with me as a teenager who definitely partied hard, now that they're in their late 20s, they don't do that anymore to that extent. You know, they might have a cocktail or a beer here and there, but. Yes, a majority of teenagers did want to drink at high capacities. So I've also heard that about at least 80% of teens say their parents are the biggest influence on their decision to drink. Do you think your parents were an influence on your drinking and drugging? 
Well, my mother was highly against alcohol. She, for the longest time, didn't know I was sneaking around using any other drugs. But with her, it because I only grew up with my mother and my parents divorced at a young age. So under her roof, there was no, well, here, have a beer, Ryan, and, and test it out. She was not of that type. So there was a defiance in me to, okay, now I really want to go try this out. Um, and yes, that's, it's part, part of it was, was that, but it was, it was a lot of it was me wanting to do it. So it was the peers around you that you that made you or, or peer pressure in a way everybody was doing it, you wanted to do it too. Was your mother particularly strict when it came to this so that you rebelled or she just didn't bring it up? No, she was absolutely strict. I rebelled. And also there wasn't much peer pressure for me. It was, here's an opportunity, I'm taking it. And then if anything, I became the person who pressured others. I see. So did you find yourself in, in how you were using and how you were drinking? Did you happen to notice that it was different from all the other kids around you? Absolutely. The Early on, there's a few things that I realized when I drank. I lied more. Uh, I would also become belligerent, violent, even at times. Give us an example of one of those times, if you can. Sure. Uh, the second time I ever drank in my life was at Jenkinson's Boardwalk in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. And I'm absolutely hammered on the beach with a bunch of my friends. And for some odd reason, I'm getting into a fist fight with my best friend, even to this day, for no particular reason, just from being extremely intoxicated. So that, that really happened. So you got into trouble there. What kinds of trouble did you get into in high school because of drinking? Well, like I said, that story, for example, I did get in trouble with the police that night. So the second time I ever drank in my life, I got in trouble with police. Um, so after that, I, I became a runner. Anytime I was at a party, I'm running. Tell um, me what that means, you became a runner. If there were, if, if there was any lights outside, I was jumping over fences, I was getting away uh, because Quite frankly, my mother, uh, being the, the strict one she was, there was at the time I was very scared of the repercussions that I would face with her more so than the police. What would um, be the repercussions? Uh, I, I mean, very limited activity of going out, being with friends, um, you know, taking away contact with anybody. Like it was just pretty strict of her. Pretty grounded, right? Yes. So why did you tell yourself you could use? What was it about drinking to that excess and partying with people that was attractive to you? Why did you want to do that? Well, there's a few factors to that. When I actually got sober and I, I got to learn more about it, um, I had some early childhood resentment and alcohol allowed me to drink away some resentment. And then I also had issues with socialization, talking to people, talking to girls. So it just, it was a great social lubricant. I and, see. Yes. 
So you did these things for a variety of reasons. It was to feel less inhibited. It was to communicate more and to uh, maybe escape from something in your past, something in terms of a crisis, correct? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So when we come back, I want to talk to you about a little bit more about when your bottom was and what made it the point when you turned around and said, I want to get some help. Okay? okay. Thank you. We'll be right back. Join the new earth on the Cornelia Stephanie show. Tune in each month as Cornelia takes listeners on an odyssey of higher consciousness to inspire, educate, and empower. Cornelia Stephanie is a spiritual teacher, passionate speaker, published author, and founder of the Empower Network. Cornelia guides people on the path of self-healing, peace, and liberation. For more information, go to CorneliaStephanie.com. Hi, I'm Laura Meeks, and the most common problem that my clients face is all work and no play. This is why I created Fly High Living. I help you develop a balanced life plan and guide you to a place where you love to wake up in the morning. Call 888-666-1570 or go to flyhighliving.com to sign up for the four-week Flight Plan for Life course. Healing has a ripple effect. One person's healing affects everyone around them. This is where the power of sharing our stories can be so important. Tune in to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge each month on Transformation Talk Radio as Megan provides you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. Enact the power of radical change. To find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca. Hello, friends. I am Terry J. Walker with the I Am Power Hour, and here is your soul-stretching success tip of the day. As you know, we have two core energies, love and fear. We always have the power of now and the choice to align with our source energy, which is based on love, light, truth, gratitude, and peace. Or we can choose to align with our ego, external influences and opinions that arise during our day based in fear. You know those terms, frustration, worry, anger, and judgment. Well, each day as we awaken, we have the opportunity for a new day, a new start, and to align and empower ourselves and to raise our energy in appreciation. I hope you have a wonderful day filled with love, light, appreciation, and of course, alignment. Namaste, my beautiful friends, and I'll see you next time. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit JenRoyster.com for more information. Welcome back. This is Ellen Stewart, the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, and this is Recovery Recharged. We are talking today with a young adult about his recovery. I'm here with Ryan Quigley. Ryan, I want to continue a little bit and talk to you about your journey um, from active addiction to recovery and talk about your teenage years and a little bit about how your parents 
reacted to all of this? You said both of them were divorced, but I'm sure you were getting uh, feedback from mom and dad. Tell me what that was like. Well, my father was a bit more relaxed early on in my drinking. My mother, not so much. So living with my mother, it was always strict rules, but my father, he wanted to just kind of see what happened. And also he didn't quite know everything. He didn't see everything. So I, I can't fault him too much on that, but mother definitely. So what you're saying is maybe Dan thought it would pass. It would be a phase. Yes, he did. Yeah. Tell me some of the things he said to you. Uh, he would just tell me I should be a little smarter, maybe drink. If I am going to drink beer only, of course, I didn't listen. I would go and drink vodka or another liquor. And uh, this is when you were 15, 16, 17, correct? Yes, it was one of those, let me be a cool parent and say, if you're going to do this, try to do it this way. So now that you work in recovery and you see that all the time, do you think that's something that parents say all the time that they want to try to be friends with their, with their kids? And if you're going to do it, then at least try not to do it to excess. Do you hear that a lot? A lot, especially with the younger folks that we have coming in. I understand. Well, as a recovery coach, I also hear it a lot. And that's one of the reasons why we have this show Recovery Recharged. Um, because you and I know, being recovery, recovering addicts, that it doesn't matter um, it, who you are and how old or how young you are. An addict will drink to excess no matter what. There's no such thing as beer only or vodka only or you'll only have one. We have a saying in recovery, one drink is too many, a thousand is never enough. Correct? Correct. So when did you finally realize that that was exactly the way it was for you? What got you to your bottom and got you to your first stint or whatever in treatment? Well, I really became a daily drinker as soon as I graduated high school. So that summer going into college, my mother kicked me out. And oh, back it up, back it up, back it up. Why did you <laughs> kick me out? Um, you know, you said that so nonchalantly, like, oh, mom kicked me out. Why did you kick <laughs> out well she was sick and tired of dealing with me um so even though i had a scholarship to go play soccer in college she was done and i moved in with my father so for that summer he didn't really notice how bad it was because he's working and he's just assuming i'm going out being a teenager and having fun with friends before i go off to college well it became apparent when at college I was getting suspended before the school year even started at preseason training. And now, is that because she was showing up drunk? You were testing positive for drugs. How did it manifest itself? Yes, my my alcoholism was showing right away at that school. I was acting out in various ways in terms of again, belligerent, violent, and and just obviously not in good health some days in terms of being intoxicated. So that school, I lasted one semester and lost my scholarship. They didn't really uh, want me there. And I was unable to fulfill the school's requirements to stay. And I went back to my father's. 
I was attending the community college parking lot because I couldn't even get to the classroom because most of the time I would be sitting in my car with a hangover. And my family, my sister, put together an intervention. So tell us what an intervention is. Well, essentially an intervention is when your family and maybe some of your closest friends come together and attempt to talk you into getting help. And it worked. It worked. I was, uh, I did not jump up and say, yes, I'll go to treatment. This is great. There is I, nobody on the planet that goes <laughs> does happily <laughs> into treatment. Oh, yay, I'm here. Okay. Right. Never, never happens. Never. Never. Okay. Was, but at I least just... they took the approach. They, your mother was tired of yelling and screaming, I'm sure. Right? Yeah. So, and it was beautiful that both of my parents who were divorced came together for this you know, whatever issues they might have had with each other, well, their love for me was what allowed them to work together, which even my stepmother was there. So everyone was there. And I knew while I was sitting there, this is, this is not good. And despite being reluctant, uh, a good friend of mine, the one that was there, he, he was the, the person that said, just give it a shot. That's all he said. Just give it a shot. So based on an intervention, you had your close family members, you had your sister there, you had mom and dad who were divorced and uh, your dad was remarried or yes, your dad was remarried. Yes. So even your, your stepmom was there and they all came together, including friends. They sat down and they said to you, this is how you are and you're hurting us and we would really like to see you get some help. Absolutely. Some read letters and some were able to just speak how they felt. And I reluctantly agreed to go get help. And that's how it started. All right. But you certainly hit bottom. You had nothing. You came home, your scholarship was gone, your soccer career for the moment and for the most part was done, right? You didn't Absolutely. You I, was, I was an 18 year old kid. I, I had no education, no trade. I had no money. So that's all I had, the, the people that were there. And well, I knew that they were sick and tired of me. <laughs> they were sick and tired of you and you were sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's exactly what happens. Absolutely. So when you went to treatment, where did they, well, not specifically where they sent you, but what type of treatment did they send you to? Well, none of us were well-versed in finding treatment. Um, so I was the one who actually started looking up places on the internet and I started calling places. Uh, I made the mistake of waiting a couple days. So when I was calling detoxes, they wouldn't let me in cause I stopped drinking already. Ah, so yeah, the time I, I actually lied to get into treatment. And you said that you were still intoxicated. Oh, I said, I'm drunk right now, but I actually wasn't. I was detoxing at home. I had a few days detoxing at home. And yes, I, I got in and it was a detox. And they also had a residential program that I stayed at for 31 days. Okay. So you went to a 31-day treatment. What advice would you give to a mom and dad today in terms of what they should be looking for to see whether or not their son or daughter is exhibiting uh, substance abuse problems? 
Well, I think there's a variety of things. Uh, obviously, if you look at, are they showing up to school, work? Are they just showing up? Are they lying? Is there a lot of dishonesty going on? There's just a couple really simple little tales that will tell you that something's not right. Um, you also can look at who their company is, who, what friends are they keeping around them? Uh, that's, that's a pretty easy one to see. Well, hey, my son has some friends that probably shouldn't be mixing it up with. Um, and then looking at how they act, how do they talk to you? Um, you know, if they want money, well, they're going to be really nice. And then you don't give them money. Now they're being really mean. And why, why do you want money? <laughs> so there's, that's just a couple of things to, to keep in mind. Yes. And also I find when I work with parents all the time, um, just like your father minimized your use or thought it would be passed or thought it would be a phase. If somebody, if your child is 12, 13, 14, 15, um, this is a time where drug use should not be a thing. If your child is experimenting at this kind of young age, this is a real cause for alarm. Do not minimize this. Do not say this will pass. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Um, of course, a lot of kids will try some alcohol, maybe smoke some marijuana as their first jump into using anything. But it's, I think it's very important to keep a close eye on it if they do. And today, of course, the biggest things that are happening in high school is vaping. And most of those parents are watching their kids vape marijuana. I think we're going yes. to get a continue in the vein. We're not going to stop. We're going to keep going because I want to talk to you about um, what adolescents are doing today, especially what's happening in the midst of COVID-19. You and I get calls from parents kids so especially now with the lockdown even though maybe it's a little it has been a little less prevalent in Florida than it's been up here on the east coast what's happening with kids do you think they're using more now that they're in lockdown or less what are you seeing well, it depends on what kind of access that individual kid has uh, I, I do think not just the children but anybody who is able to continue access is using even more drugs or alcohol during the shutdown. Uh, through my experience and my work, I've seen a, a higher rate of use going on during all of this. Dr. Pat and I did a recovery recharged um, uh, session the week before last where at how much are we drinking through COVID-19 and alcohol sales are up 500%. Wow. And I think that's just staggering, absolutely staggering. And of course, um, kids are left to their own devices. And even though children are in a situation where they're under the watchful eye of their parents, sometimes it gives them an opportunity to be a little bit more devious, would you say? Absolutely. How devious were you as a kid? Give us an idea of the craftiness so that parents will know what to look for. Give us an idea of- Sure. Well, you, you look at vodka, it's a, it's a clear drink. It was as simple as pouring out some 
vodka that was maybe in, in my father's uh, pantry and filling it back up with some water and voila, now he has watered down vodka and I have some vodka for myself. Ah, okay, that's interesting. And also if your child is, is in a situation where you think he has the propensity to to do this. You have to watch your medicine cabinet, don't you? Mom, you said had Percocet in her medicine cabinet. Absolutely, she had Percocets and other things due to some procedures she had, even some injuries I had. So it's not a, a lack of her. I mean, what parent really thinks that their kids are going to jump in and start stealing Percocets? So I can't really fault my mother on that. But now with how things are, if I don't have children, but if I do, I will be making sure they can't get access to that if, if we ever even had it in the home. Right, I understand. You do have to be watchful, and that doesn't mean that you have to micromanage your children. You don't have to be a helicopter parent, but you do have to be aware. Yes. I always talk I always talk on Recovery Recharged about being aware of what's around you. You have a good sense about your child. If your child is exhibiting behavior that you feel is out of the ordinary, do not make light of it. Don't turn around and say, well, maybe it's me or it'll be okay or it will pass. When it comes to this kind of situation, you have to take a good hard look. Because Ryan is in, in an example of how someone can start at 12 and go down that path and use heavily for six years before they got into treatment. So continuing on, let us know how parents should help their children get into recovery. Do you think your parents did it the right way? I think they did a, a really good way of getting me in. They sat me down. They were straightforward to the point and I got to treatment. They did not enable me when I got out. They laid some groundwork that they'll be here for me, but I have to show that I'm working and doing what I need to do to change my life. Okay, so, well, let's talk about that a little bit. That's great. What you said is extremely important not enable you, define for our audience what that exactly means. What would be an example of enabling you as opposed to what your parents did? Sure, so 18 years old, you're not gonna make the most, you know, a lot of money. So when I was living in an Oxford house, as an example, my father did have to help me financially with the rent because uh, I had other bills and whatnot. So he said, I'll help you with this for now, as long as you are back in school, and you're working and I have to, you know, sh it has to show. So there was no, I'll pay your rent and you get to sit around in a, in a sober home, which I see quite a bit with my business. Ah, so you do have a sober home and we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But first of all, at 18 years old, you not only went into treatment for 30 days, but because you were 18 when you came out, you went into a sober home, correct? not right away and again this, this goes back to my, my parents not being enablers i moved back in with mom and through al-anon she learned that she was enabling me a little bit by letting me live rent free so okay. after, after being home for 
couple months, she said, you have to move out. <laughs> okay. All right. This I is was, very, very important. It's very important. So because I didn't know this at the, in the time, I was a dry drunk, as they call it. A dry drunk is someone who might not have alcohol or other substances in your body, but I was still a nasty person. I, I had a lot of character defects still. So she said, nope, you're not going to live in my home and talk to me the way you talk to me. I don't care. If you're sober, you're out. And it was one of the best things that have ever happened to me. Tough love. That's what tough love is all about. Part of it anyway. So here you are eventually in sober living. And was that your one and only relapse time? Did you ever go back to treatment in that way? I, I have never relapsed after treatment. That's a wonderful thing. So it only proves to us also that treatment works, correct? Treatment does work. It works when the individual works it. Yes. And when you were ready to go and you realized that this was the best way for you at the time. And sometimes that's difficult for an 18 year old. But if everything else is taken away and there's no place else to go except the love and support of your family, then you'll make a healthy choice. And your parents promised you support while you were in recovery, but not only in recovery from drinking and drugging, but in learning to think like someone in recovery really changing your life around and not being that dry drunk as you call it, right? Of course. Of course. So continuing on, I just wanted to let our listeners know that this is the kind of work that the Pushy Broad from the Bronx does being a recovery coach, working with families and working with addicts and alcoholics who have come out of treatment and do not want to be a dry drunk. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to tell you that I am doing a free 30-minute coaching session. If you go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, click on the link that says free 30-minute session so that you can begin to understand what it is to perpetuate recovery or as a parent, see the warning signs of your child possibly needing help with recovery. So go to pushybroadfromthebronx.com. And for those of you who are listening, my toll-free number works 800-889-1757. 800-889-1757. Let's talk about it. I'm here to help you. So now let's just continue on a little bit and talk a little bit about the stuff that you're doing today. Tell me about Pearl Recovery Center. Well, Pearl Recovery Center is an aftercare-based program, meaning we are not the place that you come to for detox and residential treatment. We are the place you can come to when you're done with that. Or some people are unable to go to treatment for 30 days or detox for whatever their reasons are. We are another uh, place that they can come to if uh, they still need more freedoms. So we offer intensive outpatient three days a week, and we also provide sober living for men. And what we're trying to cultivate here is the understanding that, okay, you can go to treatment for 30 days, but that doesn't mean everything will be solved in 30 days. This is a, a process that takes time. You know, you drank for five years. How are you going to fix it all in 30 days? So we want to work with people for quite some time and 
keep sharpening the tools that they get, make them more effective, make, teach them how to use them better. And at the same time, create an atmosphere that uh, they can do that in. So you offer two different types of treatment. You offer something called intensive outpatient. And for those of our listeners that don't exactly understand what that is, it is different from residential treatment. If somebody needs residential treatment, then they pack up, they pack up for at least uh, maybe 30 days and they go to a campus or a premise and they stay there, live there, sleep there and get treatment. And then when they come out of treatment, they want to perpetuate that. And in order to perpetuate that, they go to what we call day treatment, aftercare. Intensive outpatient means what? For your place, three times a week or four times a week? We, we do three. Three times a week, three hours per day, correct? correct. Three correct. days a week, three hours per day for anywhere from what? Six to eight weeks? Roughly, sometimes more. Uh, we also do individual sessions with folks as well. You do as well. So it's it's run clinically. You have therapists on premise. People come to see you and then they go home. And because yes. you're in Florida, are people doing that now or are your sessions virtual? We are able to have live meetings again. You are, okay. In some instances here, up here in the Northeast, we are still not able to have live meetings. So we are doing this through telemedicine. Um, are you accepting telemedicine patient, telehealth patients, or they have to come to you live? We, we could, however, all of the people in our program at the moment are excited to be back in person. So we haven't had anyone opt to stay on the telehealth. Okay. And then from there, they can either choose to um, go home and work and take care of themselves, or maybe they are coming to you from a residential treatment center and they're going into sober living. Describe what sober living is in this country and at Pearl Recovery. Sure. Well, sober living, there's a variety of levels to it. There's some that are a little more strict with rules and oversight. And then there's some that are a little more free. So for example, there's the Florida Association of Recovery Residences, FAR. There's four levels that you can be as a registered sober home. We are a level two sober home. What that means is the our, our residents have a little more freedom than others. They don't have to be in a clinical program like an IOP even though we offer it. And so with us, we wanted to make sure that even if someone's insurance cut off um, or didn't have insurance, I still wanted to be able to offer someone a safe place to start their recovery journey. And that's why we went with a level two. So in this instance, people that are coming into your sober home have to be 18 and above, correct? You don't accept yeah. anybody under 18 years old. And yes. that is true for every single sober home in the United States. You must be 18 to be living out on your own, correct? Correct. correct. Okay, so that means that somebody can conceivably be finishing up high school and living with you. Is that correct or no? Yes, it almost happened with us that you had a high school senior in with you at 18. Yeah, it, it didn't, but it, it almost happened. 
Okay, but most kids are either freshmen in college or um, or working or out in the working world. Um, I'd like you to give uh, parents an idea of what actually goes on in a sober home, what a typical day is like, and what are the restrictions and rules of a sober home in case uh, parents are thinking about that for their young adult. Well, in a sober home, you're either working in school, both potentially for some, you're also attending meetings of sorts, 12-step uh, fellowship meetings, smart recovery maybe, and intensive outpatient program. So I, I, I don't, I'm not picky on how someone wants to recover. I just care that they want to recover and that they are doing the work that they need to do. So there's no, what's the point of being in a sober home if you're not working recovery? So you have to be active in that, whatever you're doing. And then also you have to expect to be getting a list of chores. What's, you know, what's your chore for the week? What's your chore for the week? You have to understand you're going to get drug tested. You are going to get breathalyzed. And that's really for accountability purposes, safety purposes. Uh, you have to keep the rest of the, the individuals living there safe. So yeah, yeah it's, it's all about accountability in a sober oh. home. How long do people usually live in a sober home? Well, that could vary again. However, we, because we want to work with people and show them how to transition back into life, we generally have a six months, give or take. So if someone has a six months commitment and in Pearl Recovery, I know you deal at this moment just with males. Correct. And there are sober homes that are just females. And we're talking yes. about a majority of those being a young adult population for the most part. But understanding that sober homes are not only about staying clean and sober, but what Ryan said, and that is transitioning from active addiction to now I need to know how to live in the outside world or in the real world being clean and sober. This is the epitome of working your life, of understanding how to navigate, how to make decisions, how to hold down a job, how to communicate with other people. Is that correct? All of those things, the transition part. That is so correct. And that is one of the hurdles that I run into with Pearl at times is I have John Doe, who might have been in another program that all they cared that his rent was paid and by his mother and he just sat around doing nothing and he comes to me and now I'm like, well, let's teach you some life skills and that's great. Your mom will pay, but I actually want you to go work and for you to pay your own bills. So it, it's tough at times. I understand. Okay. Well, when we come back, I want to talk specifically about the kind of things that parents need to know as they move forward here, what to look for again and again, what they should be telling their children and how they should be confronting them, especially now if they see signs and symptoms of possible substance misuse. Okay, thanks, we'll be okay. right back. Are you ready to awaken to your divine and true potential? Tune in to a Spirited Exchange Radio with me, Carrie Kadambi, every second and fourth Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. We discuss the evolution of the modern mind and how the power of awakening, healing, and connecting 
allows us to step into living a life of love in action. For more information about me, visit thedivineguidancegift.com. Did you know that when we talk about the Earth's ecosystems, the most important ecosystem has been left out? You, we created the ecosystem approach to recapture human potential. Find us at theecosystemapproach.org. Join us every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for the Ecosystem Approach Show with Jason and Patricia on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Have you ever wondered what your pets think about? Do you know what your pets are saying to you? Dr. Monica will be your pet's translator to help you understand what your pets are trying to communicate to you. Enhance the bond with your furry friends on Pets Talk with Pet Communicator, Dr. Monica, each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Dr. Monica, visit PetCommunicator.com. We remember a time when you could simply form a thought and it would manifest. The harmony was forgotten, but it is returning now. The Power of Inspiration and Awakening Radio with Julia Griffin on TransformationTalkRadio.com each second and fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific will take you on adventures through the heart and spirit exploring who we once were. This intuitive healer studied under the guidance of wolves, learning from their wisdom to master a higher frequency for a new state of mind. Visit OneTrueSelf.com. Tune in to Knowledge Book Radio with host Marge Potasik each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Through many experiences, Marge was led to the Knowledge Book, a gift to humanity in its transition to the Golden Age, and it provided the truth and the answers. She now shares information from the Knowledge Book with you each week on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information, visit usa.theknowledgebook.net. Hey, how's it going? If it's stressful or just plain exhausting, New Light Living is here to ask, is this the way you want to live? Join me, your intuitive spiritual life coach and host, Erika Sullivan, every week on New Light Living. Discover the power of creative tools to start living every day as your ideal dream day. See your life in the new light. To learn more, visit newlightliving.com. Welcome back, Transformation Talk Radio listeners. This is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx, and you are listening to a very special episode of Recovery Recharged here with Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad. Please remember to reach out to me with any comments or questions about this very valuable episode, 800-889-1757. And as always, pushybroadfromthebronx.com. I'm continuing my talk with uh, Ryan Quigley, who has been kind enough to share his journey in recovery and to talk about some of his struggles and now some of his great successes. So Ryan, we were talking a little bit about the fact that you own a sober home and you own an intensive outpatient program. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to this journey? You said you got clean and sober. You said you were uh, continuing the journey. What gave you the transition, the idea now to pay it forward and work in recovery? It's a simple one. I was in college. I was working in an ice cream shop, someone at a 12-step meeting said, hey, do you want to work in a rehab? Just opened up in New Jersey. I said, sure, why not? 
I was a tech. I started as a tech and I said, you know what? I, I, I really enjoy this. I want to work in this field. Uh, there's nothing to it. I just fell in love with that. But I never thought I would be in this field. So I just thought it was going to be a cool college job because I happened to be in recovery. And now you work with your, well, you work as a partner. I know you were a co-owner. Who else is an owner in Pearl Recovery? It's, it's myself and my father. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a great bond yeah. experience. Yes, it is. And how long has Pearl, Pearl Recovery been a thing? Pearl has started just over three years ago now. And it started as a sober house, and now you have opened up the intensive outpatient. What is the advantage for somebody in recovery to work in recovery? What does that do for us? Well, it's certainly rewarding. Um, it's a passion for me, so it's not just a job. At the end of the day, when we do have people transition out, do well, it's, it's like, that's great. It's a wonderful feeling. Uh, but I do make sure I don't mix it up and think that this is for my personal recovery. So that's, that's important. So you don't find that working in recovery is part of your own personal recovery? It's, it's somewhat part of it for sure, but I can't, I can't not continue to work on my recovery outside of my job. So it's a rewarding career to be in. And there's a lot of times that when I'm talking to one of our folks that we're helping, I say something that I say, oh, I should remember that myself right now. <laughs> I understand. We have perpetual meetings, so to speak, on a daily basis. We are constantly working our own recovery by projecting things out. And myself as a recovery coach is also working my own recovery. Um, and I have close to 35 years clean and sober, and I'm still working on my recovery. So I fully understand that. So in the long run, how do you think your parents were instrumental in getting you here to where you are today? I think they were highly instrumental to where I am today. Both of my parents are wonderful people. So I feel so fortunate and blessed that they were in my life on this journey. Uh, I, I never blame them for what I did. Um, so I, I'm just grateful that they were able to come together, help me and continue to help me without of course, like we talked about before, enabling me. So tell us a little bit more about the kind of advice you would give to parents who are struggling right now as to whether or not to decide to get further help for their child, which may be struggling. What do you say to those people? To have them take a step back and, and look at it objectively. I see a lot of parents are in denial and they don't really want to accept what's happening with their child. So once they can do that and really be open-minded to what the facilities like us and other programs and professionals are saying, then we can try to help their, their child. Um, but they, they, I think they need to understand it's your child, it's your baby. I get that but they can't keep doing what they're doing. And as much as you want to love them, well, I see so much enabling and uh, that's not good. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, if they want to help their kid, there's also a, a lot to be said about being open and just straightforward, not to dance around the subject because the, the addiction is a very serious subject, but to not do it in a way that uh, makes their child feel intimidated or scared to talk about it. So if they could create an atmosphere of openness, that would help a lot. It absolutely would. And also I find that when I work with parents, parents tell me one particular thing, my child is going to hate me. So what do you say to those parents? Tell me what you would say now. Well, I don't think your child would ever hate you. That's a strong word. They might dislike you at the moment, but they will understand you have their, their best intentions at heart, even if they do throw a fit. I know for certain that I knew that as a child myself when my parents were intervening in my life to help me. Um, so I think kids need to be given a little more credit too. Kids are, kids are smart. They understand things. They are struggling. They're growing. They're learning so much, but they're smart. They get it. What exactly do they get? Well, they get that, they get at the very least that their parents love them no matter what, I think. And, and look, some kids don't come from the best backgrounds, the best family life. So there are those situations too. Um, but I think kids understand, hey, they're here, they're looking out for my best interest, even if they don't understand why yet. They, they do understand that. And what would you say to the kid that was your age that turns around and says, I really don't have a problem. There's no problem here. My parents are exaggerating. What do you say to that? <laughs> well, I ask them some questions. I, I will start to go in depth with them about, well, what do they say and what do you say? How's, how's your grades? What, what do they look like? You know, how's your, your friends? What's going on with that? You know, are you active in other clubs or sports? Yes. Is your life generally falling apart? Are you anxious? Are you stressed? Are you trying to cope? Right? Right. Right. So finally, we have about a minute left. So what, this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to leave us with what you feel we really need to know about you, your recovery, or your message to parents today. Well, what I'd like to say to parents as a, a person who got into recovery at 18 years old is love your kid, love them, but don't enable them. That's my biggest message. I've said it multiple times today. Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. And, and that's the one important thing I want parents to know specifically. You've been listening to Recovery Recharged with certified life and recovery coach, Ellen Stewart. Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Don't miss your next opportunity to let me help you recharge your recovery, let go of your secrets, and change the way you think, feel, and act right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com.